0: Welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast exploring the creative and curious world of work through monologues and conversations with creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and changemakers. How much time do you spend thinking about the biggest questions we face as a species? On top of that, how prepared are you for the massive disruption technology will bring to our lives and work in the coming years and decades? How are you learning to control your thinking and regulate your emotions? My guest is Ed Hess, professor and author of Own Your Work Journey, The Path to Meaningful Work and Happiness in the Age of Smart Technology and Radical Change. And he brings the tools and experience to help us find our way forward. Ed shares why we need to come together and make meaning for all. He also talks about the importance of mindful meditation, managing your thinking, controlling your emotions, and the role learning, relearning, and unlearning will play in our future. If you are frightened to head out into the unknown, unsure of what you'll discover, find comfort in the stories of people like Ed, who built a life and body of work around the ability to say yes to opportunities, admit what they don't know, and come back with the truth show notes and links to all the good stuff mentioned in this episode can be found at gwtw.co 740. I'm curious what this answer is going to be, but uh, what are you endlessly curious about?
1: You know, that's a great question. And that's a, that's a brilliant question because it's like, how is this all going to, I guess, what am I curious about? whether ai is going to basically transform quote the world to a better place or whether ai is going to take the world to even a deeper negative place than it is now so i'm curious as to how it's all going to play out i'm i'm curious as to what's going to happen geopolitically i'm curious how different countries are going to be able to take care of their people, uh, with the narrowing of job opportunities, how the social system is going to do. And I'm extremely curious in the United States because we have probably the most difficult, if you will, system in this, in the sense that our business system is built on survival of the fittest. And we don't have big social safety nets like a lot of countries in the world have. And so this is going to be a dramatic moment for how this all plays out and who gets left behind and what happens to those people. And, you you know, you're a well-read person. You're, you're everything. You know, this goes back to history. I mean, we're going back to the, you know, for thousands of years, if you will, of, of, of disruption, huge disruption. And, and so what am I curious whether we as human beings in the world have gotten smart enough how to basically come to an end result that everybody can live with that is not going to be as disastrous as what history has been.
0: Mm. There's a lot in that, and there's a big mix of faith, there's a mix of hope, and there's a mix of learned reality in, in that curiosity.
1: And it's scary. It's scary it is. as to who's going to take the lead, and it's scary because the people who are running the technology basically will f- freely admit that they really don't know where it's going to go, all right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and every week there is a new podcast from one of the, let's say, the five technology giants who built this system, built this problem, all right, that is even longer than the one they did four or five weeks ago, all right? And most of them are saying it's going to happen faster than they said five weeks ago. And so, you know, we're all sitting here saying, oh, my goodness, what does this mean? How can individuals get ahead of this? How can businesses get ahead of this? How can governments get ahead of this? And the fact of the matter is you can't get ahead of it. got to figure out how to slow it down, and, you know, that's not going to happen, I don't think.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think one of the biggest wrestling points is for us individually, and this is something that I've had to reckon with, and I think we all have to reckon with it, is, you know, you can't slow it down, you can't stop it from happening, so where does that lead you? Where does that lead you with the relationship with it? How does that change what you know versus what you don't know? I mean, you really have to redefine your identity to a certain degree.
1: Yeah, and especially vis-a-vis the workplace. And Mm -hmm. I, I like what you just said. You have to redefine your identity. And that's really what I've spent the last couple of years on working on in the sense, not only from my personal viewpoint, but uh, the book that uh, that you, you have of mine, I mean, it, it tries to answer that question mm-hmm. for individuals, all right, in a very practical, applied way, not in an academic way or a <laughs> grand theory way. But here are tools and practices which you can use so you can Take ownership of yourself and not let yourself just run wild and go where something is digitally inviting you to go, but to be able to think wisely, to be able to uh, have control over you. And uh, you probably meditate, and uh, I meditate. And over the last three months, in order for me to get to the same basis of inner calm, so I can go out in the world and try to be my best self, I've had to double my meditation minutes because of all of the pace that things yeah. are going and that are coming in from different sources. It's sort of like, whoa, okay. And I'm saying to myself, it needs to slow down because, you know, gosh, I mean, it's, if i got to double it one more time, I mean, you know, I'm talking about half a day. Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, what I mean, it, it, it's just like, whoa. And so you're, you're right. It's going to be, each individual is going to have to figure out how they make sense of this. Everybody's going to need a new story. And that new story is going to have to take into account the realities human realities, technology realities. But that story's got to be a story that we bl- believe in. And that story, As you as you know, my work is basically the story that I'm put out there for people is it's basically based on the seven great religions, the philosophies and on all the major Eastern and Western philosophies. It's I mean, the answer to how to basically, you know, take care of yourself or, you know, whatever words you want to use, inner peace, whatever. Thousands of years old. All right. In the same. I mean, you know, I stuff that I do is the same stuff that somebody thousands of years old. Okay, I mean, uh, the the Dalai Lama is, is, you know, his 90s. I mean, you know, he meditates four hours a day every day. All right. That's because he's had to increase his meditation because of what's going on. And I mean, so it's like we know and we've got the principles we got the values. We know what we can do. It's just now getting, getting people to buy into it, mm-hmm. not because it's a happy, happy thing. <laughs> it's a necessity. Yes. It's a necessity to basically own your thinking, your emotions, your mind, how you act, uh, how you engage with the world so you are not taken over. So you're yeah. not uh, almost co-opted by technology, yeah. And, and and that happened with social media. I mean, in the United States, oh, we sure, had very yes. difficult problems with social media. Uh, I mean, my two my two granddaughters have been to more funerals of classmates, high yeah. school classmates, than I've been to funerals in my life. Wow. I mean, wow. it's a little bit like. Am I endlessly curious? Yeah, I'm very curious how it's all going to play out. I'm also endlessly awaiting many more people waking up yeah. and saying, new new game, new story. How do yeah. I get on that story? Oh. Does that make sense?
0: It gives me chills, actually. I mean, I... There's something inside that says, yes, that's absolutely right. Cause like my hair is sticking straight up on my arms here. And and I think that we're stuck in these old, old, old stories Yeah. while all these things are changing around us. And it's almost like that's where the battle is, is between the old stories that don't work anymore and the new stories that we're frightened of.
1: Yeah. And you're right. It's a good way good way to say it. And the news stories. The hope is there's enough human, let's just say, smart human beings who know <laughs> what the technology is about, and smart governmental people, all right, et cetera, uh, because government and politics has a huge part of this. Uh, that they will sit back and say, "Wait a minute." The likelihood of us say you make believe you're President of a country, and I'm president of country, I and mean, we're talking, and you know, eventually you, I reach the point where I said the likelihood that I'm going to completely be able to basically take over Chris, be better than Chris, whatever, okay, is not that high. So why don't I sit here and figure out how Chris and I are going to do our thing, and we don't have to necessarily embrace each other's philosophy as much as how are we going to get along good enough that the people we represent are going to be protected, da 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 mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it, it gets to be a whole different type of conversation. Yeah. Uh, the old philosophers call it making meaning together. Mm-hmm. And you know, so much of our conversations, instead of making meaning together, is basically words flying through over (laughs) each other because everybody's thinking of their answers while the other person is talking (laughs) and nobody's really listening. And I'm defining the words the way I understand it, and I don't ask you, well, what do you mean by that word? Okay. Yeah. So it's a whole like process, like, okay, how do I really get to know somebody so that we can then understand? We're not trying to kill each other out we're just we have just a different story how we want to help our country okay so how do we make that work Mm. same thing going to happen in the business world oh yeah what companies what companies to do with the you know potential large layoffs that are going to happen and also the fact that you know the smartest people out there are saying that next 20 years A smart person is going to have five completely different jobs. The technology will basically continue to advance and do more, you know, things. Yeah.
0: Well, and then not only that, but you shared the prediction in your book that uh, 25 to 47% of the U.S. workforce will be automated by the end of the decade. I mean, these are all staggering statistics that we, we can't shove aside anymore.
1: Yeah, it is. And I mean, and and that comes from Oxford University, which Mm -hmm. you obviously know is a pretty reputable place. And uh, (laughs) uh, no, and the thing about it is, you know, our culture is not the same culture as the Nordic countries. It's not the same culture as Scotland. It's not the same culture of Canada and everything in the United States. I mean, our culture is basically since the late 1940s has been survival of the fittest. Well, you can be very, very fit. All right. <laughs> nice person, good emotions, everything, and you can lose your job. So what's gonna happen? What type of training programs are we gonna have? What's our social safety net? You know, I have spent a lot of time in Europe and the different countries and everything back when I was in my other life and in my current life. And it's just amazing to go into some, you know, restaurants and Denmark or here or there and talk to a waiter or a waitress and everything and then generally they're younger people than I am and say you know do you do this all the time what do you you know what's it like living in your country how do you make your living and, you know and they start get to talking and basically there's systems in place which you know allow people to work to grow to learn to evolve and you know and there's not like going to be thousands of people thrown out the door. I mean, so the answer's there. I mean, you can go all the way back to the Nordic countries. The Nordic countries were, were basically owned by a small group of extremely wealthy people. And they created the Nordic culture because they knew that wasn't going to last. And they created a Nordic culture which has got some of the best education systems, the happiest people. You know know the numbers and everything. (laughs) But what's so fascinating is the people who were in power created the new culture Mm -hmm. that made those countries great. They Mm -hmm. didn't run it in the ground. They didn't destroy it. They didn't leave it in a bad way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at this point in time in our history around the world, find me a country today that that type of process is being used.
0: I've been thinking about this question for a long time actually. And I I try to I try to ask my dad about this question because you know he's he teaches business courses and I'm but I still haven't gotten a, an answer that makes sense to me. But it's like how do we reimagine capitalism or find something that's the next ism for economics and for our well-being, because smart technology, algorithms, fractional monetization of everything yes. is changing
1: everything. Yes.
0: Like we can't it's, live on pennies anymore.
1: Yeah, it's changing everything. And, and and capitalism is defined in somewhat differently depending on the country you're, you're talking about. The Nordic country or... You know, as, as, as an example, Denmark, Scotland used to be the United Kingdom quite a lot, but the United Kingdom started buying into our story when Wall Street moved into London. Canada has a different story than, say, the United States. So it, it comes down to the story. And what's interesting is I became a, I a senior partner in a Wall Street firm in the 1970s. My tax rate was 72%. I paid 72% of my earnings. I didn't complain. I still had a good living. I enjoyed what I was doing. All right. And that tax rate has gone down from 72% since the 1970s to today, where we have a significant number, significant number of mega wealthy people who pay zero tax. Mm-hmm. We've got the, the ratio of CEO pay to worker pay Mm. in the old days was ten to one. Yeah, now it's can be significantly larger than that, or even stratospheric. Okay, why? Why?
0: It's a great question.
1: Because at least in the United States, and this is all documented and readed. There's, I've written about it. Other people have written about it. Very wealthy people and therefore also big corporations basically are very shrewdly over the years taking more power and more power and more power. And they have more control over our democracy than the humans who live here. Yeah, And uh, and, and so it's going to take a huge change. And I think it will be, you know, I think that countries like Canada, let's just say some European countries, et cetera, Some of the Asian countries will make that leap faster than we will. All right, and so when you talk talk about it, how how did it get that way? It was not by chance. It was worked and planned. All right, and so, all right. So we got to change the story. Is there any evidence out there other than having ten thousand of the smartest technology people in the world sign a document? Several some months ago, which said we should slow down AI, and nobody basically made that happen. But they signed the document. All right, Mm -hmm. there's nobody that's been given a document in the United States that says, "Wait a minute, we're 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 out of kilter." All right, (laughs) we need to take care of our workforce. We need to basically deal with the groups in our society who are being left behind. We as a country need to change. And as you know, you can read the papers, you can hear the stories, you can see the podcasts, and everything. The United States today is a very divisive country. And um, there's no bright horizon where we're going to change fast. And what that means for the rest of the world, the rest of the world has got to basically do its thing because somebody's, the geopolitical, Situation we're in, you know, there's a race between China and the United States, basically, with the United States including some European countries and et cetera, et cetera. It's like, wait a minute, we got all these big things going on. And in the meantime, all right, what are we doing to get our people ready for this? Our education system, how are we going to educate people? How are we going to feed them? And not a week goes by where it's called the grandfather of AI. Two weeks ago, on a uh, you know a, a podcast, he made a statement. He said, "By the end of this decade, human beings will not be the smartest people on Earth." Hmm. I mean, like, excuse me, like, <laughs> holy cow, like, <laughs> right. well, we don't have that much time. Well, who's doing what? Where's this going? So, the good questions you have asked. My biggest concern, Chris, is that the Stress, frustration, downside is going to accelerate much faster than most of us believe it's possible or can be, which is only going to exacerbate what we feel today. Yes. And so I don't mean to be a downer or anything, but something and some people in some organizations are going to have to step up and say, Time out. Mm -hmm. Let's come together. Let's figure out how, all right, we can make this something that's beneficial to every person, not just to the top ten percent or five percent. Well,
0: what I love about that, though, even though you're sometimes reality is a downer, but I think we need to be. Realistic at what's going on, so that we can interact with reality and build up from reality, not get taken down by it. Yeah. And I think that really speaks to what you're doing in your book, Own Your Work Journey, because you're painting the picture of reality, but giving people real tools to build up their life so that they can respond as they need to. And I love that whole message of the book.
1: That is the purpose, and uh, is to give people tools to learn how to manage themselves in ways that will bring them happiness Mm -hmm. and in ways that basically doesn't give their life, their being, to people who are trying to control them or hurt them. Mm -hmm. And what's so fascinating about it and I've been doing this work for quite, quite some time, it's really interesting because if you study at least in the United States, great athletes like the NBA basketball teams, all right, almost every NBA team has its own mindful meditation to coach full-time. Yeah. And those players do mindful meditation all the time. There's a reason why one of the best shooters, all right, NBA shooters who can go to half court and basically, shoot 60 shots that all go in half the court. Why? So he trains himself on mindful meditation every day. Right? I mean, you go to, you, you flip from the athletes, you go to the United States Navy SEALs, all right? mm-hmm. probably the most proficient military force or one of the ones in the world. All right? They, basically have two research firms that are basically built to produce practices for people to learn how to manage their thinking and their fears so that when they go into battle, they are completely calm, no fear, and they're able to sense and see and then make the right judgments that their duties call them to do. And so it's fascinating that you see the same thing in great dancers, people that train themselves. And that's what we all sort of have to do. We'll, we'll be doing different things. I'll never be a Navy SEAL or a great basketball player. Uh, Man. Uh, and, and you know. But it's the same practices that are in the book. The practices that are in the book on meditation and taking ownership of your ego and your mind and how you manage your emotions, which is a huge thing. As we go through this era, the thing that's going to basically be the key differentiator between us and the technology is emotions and managing emotions and coming to the table with proper emotions. And then it's going to be clear because the complexity is going to be so great that the businesses or governments that survive, are going to be the governments or businesses or entrepreneurs or whoever, whatever, or have anybody with a job that wants a job. It comes down to the the fact that the quality of our emotional relationships with the people we work for will be the differentiator between the winners and the losers. No longer do we compete with each other when we're in a team meeting trying to look good. It's going to be, how do we get to the right answer or the best answer for the most people? Yes. Complete change. Mm -hmm. All right. And what's really fascinating, which don't be insulted by this. It's not personal, (laughs) uh, but the science about collective intelligence, collective intelligence is the intelligence of the team, not to any one individual. And there's a whole science on it from Carnegie Mellon and and uh, MIT. What's so interesting is MIT did five major research studies, and Carnegie Mellon didn't believe them, and they did their own separate three. So there's eight studies <laughs> and great institutions, and it was about collaboration. what what's the how do you desc- how do teams become the best collaborative teams, all right? And how do they make meaning together? How do they truly listen to each other? How do they not jump to conclusions? All of that stuff. And what's fascinating, all eight of those research projects, they defined the teams, five people per team, all right? And the teams were basically differentiated by gender, all right? Mm. So there would be teams with five men, no women, four men, one woman, three men, two women, two men, three women one man, four, no men, five women, okay? All eight research projects found out the same thing. The best collaborative learners were teams with five women and no men. (laughs) The second best team was four women and one man. The third best was three women and two men, and it goes on. When this came out years ago, I was in Seattle giving a talk to some of our alumni Uh, and there was a very senior woman in the room. The room was predominantly men. Let's say 80% men, 70% men. This woman raised her hand. She was a big executive at Microsoft. and She said, Professor Hess, may I ask you a question? I said, yes, of course. She said, well, based on what you just told us, why does a woman need a man? She says, because I already know that you know, the smartest men in the world have basically put their sperm into these machines that will last forever. So if I want to basically have a baby and have it be a smart baby, I can just buy sperm. So why do I need a man? And I mean, you saw the faces of the <laughs> men, okay? They got red, okay, or they frowned. And I was smart enough, since all of them were alumni, uh, smart enough to to basically answer her question with a question. Well, what do you think? Hmm. And she said, I can't figure it out. Hmm. But it's sort of interesting. I wrote a piece three years ago for CEO World, predicting that 50% of the CEOs of major corporations in the world by 2030 will be women Hmm. because of this. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so if you look around the world, even go back into history, And I'm not saying women are better than men or men are better than women, but we are different and we're wired differently. And we men do need to wire ourselves in a more open way and not have our ego say we always got to be right, not interrupt people, but to ask questions. And that's how companies are going to have collective intelligence. Those are going to be the businesses. You want to go to work for a business where it's got the right environment, which is going to optimize human performance. Human performance optimizes organizational performance, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you can't have great organizational performance without great human performance. Right. So let's get to the human performance side. How do we take ownership of what's going on inside of ourselves? Our ego mind, our emotions, All right, how we think, how we listen, the words we use, our behaviors, how we treat people. Why don't we get to work on that where we can be more generative, more open, Ooh, yes. more collective? All right. And you know, I've been very fortunate over the years to work with some great organizations. Rarely speaking, this, the CEO buys into this for one or two reasons. Ego or fear. Uh ego that he wants to be a winner, or fear if he doesn't do it he's gonna be a, look like a loser, so to speak. All right. They don't really their heart's not until it gets going. Mm-hmm. And then after about two months and everything, you get the cause. This is really working. I think I'm gonna take this up myself. And I'd say, When you take it up, it's even going to quadruple. Mm-hmm. And 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 so it's like and none of this is I didn't create any of this. This is all stuff coming from thousands of years put together with philosophy, putting forth, I mean, yeah, I, I do create some things, but I'm saying this, the basis of it has been with us. That's what we got to take ourselves. We, we got to rewire ourselves. We got the mm. you know, biggest void, at least in the United States and our country is a lack of critical thinking. Our biggest human challenge is managing our emotions. Well, all right, we got that out there. Now, how are we going to do that? What are we gonna yeah. do every day? That's <laughs> a great question, yeah. And that's where the tools and the you know, in the book, you know, the, the book come in. I mean, it's you know, as you as you know, it's a short book. It's only 147 pages, and the pages are not thick. But it's got twenty-eight practices and tools. It's got thirty-five workshops. If you want to get on this journey, here's the workshops. And you know you don't do all thirty-five at once. You build <laughs> up over a period of time. Yes. And you got to stay with it for even, you know, end of a year, you'll be really surprised. But at the end of two years, you'll be more surprised. At the end of 10 years, you can't even remember the you that was back there.
0: (laughs) I love that. I love that. If there's one thing that has me thinking is the concept of learning and relearning. And so I love... Both of those, they both make sense to me, like learning and then relearning. I mean, from a technology standpoint, we have to learn and relearn technology all the time. But I think the hiccup for (laughs) us as human beings is what you call unlearning because we're so biased towards sunk cost, time and money investment. So, how do we let go of things that are no longer true or
1: necessary? Well, you sit back and you think about it. If I don't unlearn and stick with my old behaviors, and technology's gonna get smarter and smarter, <laughs> what's gonna happen to me? Hmm. Maybe I need to talk to some people about that and get some feedback. Okay. Well, it means I may be left behind. Well, gee, I don't wanna do that. So, what can I do? Well, it means like I got to basically not define myself by what I used to know. I need to embrace and learn new ways of working, new ways of being. So those take me through the next step of the journey. But I'm not going to basically accept, you know, I'll buy into the fact that even that is going to, because of the pace of technological change require. Okay, that may give me three to four years pretty good what do i do then oh you got to unlearn and relearn the new things mm. and it's not hard the hard part is the very good question you asked is do i really need to do this and then how how do i do it in the tools that are in the book or or the, the how to it's it's how do i keep myself really opened, and I keep myself really open, I haven't invested all my ego and my um, success in this one way of working. Mm. No, maybe there's a different way. In fact, there may be a completely different way. I may have to learn a completely different way. I may get thrown into something really new. Okay, that's scary as hell, getting thrown into something really new. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not scary once you learn that you can do that. And so the key is the faster you say, let me try to learn something new. And how do I do it? And the more things you try to learn new that are necessary, the faster you learn. Okay, I mean, I was very fortunate in my career to have some very, very kind, generous brilliant bosses. And this story will sound ludicrous. It's true, though. It's true. (laughs) I I went to, you know, I've had three different careers in my life. And my second career was in investment banking and Wall Street and everything. And there was a global firm made up of S.G. Warburg in the U.K. and a, a firm in the United States and then a uh, another firm in Europe and lawyer who I w- worked for one time ultimately became chairman of that firm. So he called me out of the blue. He said, Why don't you come up to New York and see me? Hmm. I wasn't looking for a job or anything, but I liked him. He was very good to me and was a smart man. So I went up and, you know, I walked in. In the first five minutes, he says, I want you to become senior vice president of this, this, and this, and do this for me in my company. And I looked at him and I said, are you crazy? I said, I don't know how to do an IRR. He says, I know that, but I've worked with you. I've sent you out into the unknown before. And you always came back with good results, not made up results. You came back with the truth. He says, you'll know how to do an IRR by Friday. (laughs) And I took the job and he was right. And only this is not about how smart I am or anything. Had none to be with me. It's just sharing with people that the way you learn how to unlearn and relearn is by doing it. And the more you do it, you'll see that it is possible. Okay, mm-hmm. you don't have to be a geniac. And then all of a sudden, the unlearning part just sort of sinks down. Mm-hmm. Learning, relearning. Okay. You don't get into the tizzy about, well, how do I unlearn? How do I unlearn? Well, hell, I go out there and I start asking questions of smart people. I go start reading stuff. We go start trying things, not big things that could have bad downsides, but we test things, et cetera, et cetera. And I go find people who know more than me. Yeah. And, 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 and hopefully some of those people are kind, generous people who are not going to be view me as competition would say, yeah, you're right. You're on to this, and we need to, we need to work on these things. And what you'll find sometimes is somebody will say, I'll help you any way I can. And sometimes people are going to say, I'm too busy. That's okay. Just go find another person because yeah. there's, not going ever, there's not going to be one thing in the world that only you're asked to do and someone else is doing. It should not happen. <laughs> and so it's just a philosophy that it's okay to say, I don't know. It's okay to say this is sort of scary. All right. Well, is it going to get scarier if you don't do anything? Yeah, it's going to get scarier. Well, why don't you reduce the scare and figure out? All right. Who knows about this? I mean, there's so much out in the world. I don't know where, when podcasts got started, but I mean, I don't know how many millions of podcasts there are in the world today oh, yeah. and, and, and there's lots of like your very good podcast okay I mean, so, so it doesn't take anybody they can come sit in on podcast and if mm-hmm. it's not making sense they write down notes and they talk to some people or they go listen to another one I mean there's so much good high quality information available for free for free it's like wait a minute <laughs> And the key thing is, you're going to make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. Just make them small mistakes, but also don't keep making the same mistake over and over, because that's not called learning. But people can do this. I mean, look at where we go back to the history of the world, where we are now. You go back, whatever, to the 1800s, and people looking at us, they say, those people are weird. What is all that? (laughs) Well, the same thing's going to happen 10 to 15 years from now. When people look back at us, okay, well, that's why we got to basically get on our horse, get on our pony, get on our bicycle, get on whatever we want to get on, and let's figure out, okay, how can I stay in the game? I don't yeah. have to win the game. I just need to stay in the game. I love that.
0: Throughout this entire conversation, I'm, I'm thinking back to – in the introduction of your book, you call yourself an outsider. Yeah, And the reason why I picked up on that is because, and, and, and throughout the stories that you've told at any point, you could have banked on the label, the title, the, the expertise, the things that you had. And yet I feel you've remained the outsider and stayed adaptable and that's how you've been able to keep growing and changing, at least from my perspective.
1: Yeah. And, and underneath that is I became successful because other people, and I don't know how or why or what other people saw something in me and gave me opportunities. I ended up, I mean, it started with my high school football coach. I was in the eighth, eighth grade, and my family was an outsider. My father was an immigrant. My mother was from New England. That made her an outsider where we were living. Small town, very difficult circumstances. But, you know, I was a good student. And one thing that my mother did is, is that she would save up money It would take her about a month to save up money. And then she'd take me to the bookstore and say, pick two books to read. (laughs) And I started reading books. And I was in a rural part of the South. But I was reading books about New York and London and Los Angeles and around the world. And I said, there's stuff out here like that? And, you know, and I kept reading books. And so that allowed me also, you know, my, my grades became better and better. And so... In the end of the seventh grade, I'm sitting at home, and I get a call. And in the south of the United States, football is king. The football yes, coach is. is God. Okay, with a little T. Yes. Okay, not to offend anybody's religion. And I pick up the phone. He says, "Just said yes." I said, "Yes, sir." This is Coach Grisham. My phone goes like this. I mean, like, whoa. I mean, I never met him, never knew anything. He says, he says. You've been a good student, I found out. I said, yes, I tried, coach. He says, how would you like to become an athletic trainer? I know you're not an athlete because you didn't even make the Pop Warner team as a little football player. I know, but how would you like to be an athletic trainer? I says, I don't know what an athletic trainer does. He says, you don't have to worry about that. I'll teach you. Mm-hmm. I says, well, let me let me uh, you know ask my parents. He says, well, I really want you to do this. And he said, before you can do one thing you have to agree to do. For the next five years, when you come to school, I want you to come to my house at seven o'clock and you'll ride with me to school every morning at 730 and I'll take you home. And so for five years, I did that. It only took one year for that message, which he sent to the whole community. These people are good. Mm -hmm. These people I will protect. These people, leave them alone. And that man changed my life. And then he taught me. But then he said, how would you like to write an article about what you do for me? Which was basically training and everything. I said, I don't know how to do that. He says, well, I'll help you. And so the biggest athletic magazine at that time in the United States was Coach and Athlete. I wrote an article (laughs) about being an athletic trainer. That's amazing. Got rave reviews. And then the coach called me and said, how would you like to basically become an athletic trainer and full scholarship at the university of Florida for the football team? See, I wasn't going to college. My family didn't have money. I says, really? He says, I got it set up for you to meet coach down there. Why don't you go down there and have a visit? And so bingo, it went from him to encouraging me to teaching me uh, to writing. And I went to, you know, I got a. My education, I went I did it in three years. My education and I moved from athletic training into becoming one of the coaches says, you know, you're a smart kid. We don't have a data analytical system. He <laughs> says, would well, you want to build a data analytical system? And this was back when there was no technology. This was just adding machines. I said, I don't know how to do that. He says, I know that. but He said <laughs> the same thing. You'll figure it out. And so I built the data analysis system for the football team. I didn't uh, talk about it and everything, but the coaches did, you know, that, and this, I'm not bragging. I'm showing you what can happen to somebody that just, it's all falls in your lap, but it's because you go and you try and you learn and you don't, you're not fully yourself and you say what you don't know. I don't know how to do this. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'll help you do it. Or this is not working right. Or have you tried this or that? You know, you, you, you I never had a, Big ego. Uh, I just enjoyed what I was doing. And, you know, I had the three biggest football coaches in the United States back then from Notre Dame, University of Texas, Southern Cal. The chief coach came and each spent a day to copy my stuff. Wow. And, you know, and that was like, okay. So those were the things that took me into the unknown. That from there on out, I had more things like that happen, but from there on out, they were sort of my norm. I love that. My norm. And that, and again, this sounds like all, all I'm really emphasizing to people is not one darn thing about me. It's a, the thing about it is is that if you take an approach of, you know, I want to learn, I want to be the best, and it started out with my mother buying me one or two books that I would read and dream about what would it be like being the Mayo, Dr. Mayo at the Mayo Clinic, or being a coach, or being this, what would it be like? And it gave me something to think about. Does that help you in any way? Yeah, that's wonderful. Understand it. it, it, it it's, uh, and so it's, uh, I just was extremely fortunate. And I mean, I remember all of the people that I've talked about with you. Every day, every morning, and every night in my prayers of gratitude. Do a gratitude practice, which is one of my practices in the book, gratitude practice. give Gratitude each day to the people who helped you be who you are and who got you there. That will set you off on a positive emotional state during the day.
0: Well, Ed, you have shared so many unbelievable things throughout this interview. As we wrap up our time together, is there a bit of wisdom you'd like to leave with the audience? (laughs)
1: I <laughs> have a bit of wisdom. Yeah, that, and you, may, you probably got the wrong person. A bit of wisdom.
0: Uh, no, I have the right person.
1: <laughs> take ownership of yourself. I'm going to say, read the book. And people won't say, okay, he's just trying to sell his book. No, it's more than that. I, I, I published the book with Amazon because I got to choose the price of the book. Alright, and so the book was pri and they have they have a depending on the pages there's a minimum level, et cetera. And so I priced the book as cheaply as it could be so that it basically is a hamburger and an iced tea cost, all right? At a takeout place. All right. Mm-hmm. Seven ninety five. All right. The ebook is three ninety five. All right. The audible book which will come out will be I cut some words out of the book in the beginning in order to get it. It's not yet done, but to get it $10 or under because the audible, you got to pay for a narrator. So I'm trying to make it accessible uh, so that money is not an object. All right. You don't have to be wealthy or be in a university or, uh, you know, you can be a 17, 18 year old college student and on, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I invite people to, and there's plenty of stuff on the website which you will give them all that. People can make their own judgments and everything, but the methodology works if you want it to work.
0: Yes. Well said. Well, last question for you, Ed, and this might be the hardest question, given how many books you've read and are on the shelf behind you. But what is the book right now that's blowing your mind? That's a good question.
1: There is a book which I read this week called Leading Through Disruption Mm. by Andrew DeVirus. It's about the changemaker's guide to 21st century leadership. But this guy is highly knowledgeable about geopolitics, and he brings all that in. And so it's a very interesting book because he talks about what type of leader is going to be needed. And a leader that's going to be needed in the world is a leader that is a humanistic leader who cares about people and that the job is not just making money in a business. The job is also having positive impact for, on every person who works in that business. And that was a, a, a nice nice to hear. Okay. Other books that I'd I'd recommend to people are books by the Dalai Lama, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, people that have gone through the journey that I'm asking people to go through. And they'll get different takes, but they'll see how easy this is. The only thing you have to worry about is, sticking with it and the way people stick with it is you choose a time that you use every day and it's got to be a real serious issue for you not to make the time which means it's generally for most busy people early in the morning or in the evening when they do it but as you know in my book my book calls for when you're out in the world every day once you learn the, the things you know you can feel yourself, I'm getting emotional and everything. I need to calm down. okay. This only takes a minute. take take some deep breaths. It takes a minute. All right, I'm feeling better. All right. I'm not so tense. All right Or think of somebody that you love or you really care about and everything and and tell them silently, okay. I'm thinking of you, and I hope you're doing well today. I love you. I will see you soon thank you for being in my life. And you find out after you say that, okay, I'm relaxed, I'm okay, I'm in a good place. I've got a good friend, a good spouse, a good whatever, all right? Yeah. It's that ability to be able to sense ourselves as we're going through our day and not letting ourself go too much off the ramp.
0: I love the story that Ed told about how his mom would save money and every month she would let him go buy two books to read. And I think that is a fabulous skill that we all need to bring into our daily lives. Chasing after the wisdom available in the printed form. For me, I love the library. I save so much money going to the library, being able to check out books that I might not ever spend my money on, but need the wisdom contained within. So if you're short on money, go to your local library. They have printed books, they have ebooks, audiobooks, everything that you need based upon the type of learner that you are they have. So don't be afraid to dive into the knowledge available to you. We can't avoid the deep questions anymore that I mentioned in the beginning. And the answers are found in history. They are found in books. They are found in the stories that people are telling. We have the opportunity to make meaning and a better life for us all. Until next time, may creativity and curiosity fuel your life.